So A2 dairy, it's super exciting. The headline is it's dairy that's easier to digest for many people. A2 is a beta casein protein. So it's a milk protein found in all mammals milk. Cows produce this protein naturally as well. A long time ago, some cows started producing a variant of that protein called an A1 protein. And that A1 protein has been linked to a lot of dairy sensitivity symptoms and issues for people. This is Evolve CPG's Brands for a Better World podcast, featuring purpose-driven leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. Thanks to you, our listeners, this podcast is now ranked in the top 10% of all podcasts globally. Let's not stop there, though. You can help us reach more people by taking a moment to leave us a rating or review, which is critical for podcast algorithms, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your network. The more people we reach, the more good we can bring about in this world. If you work in the industry, you can also join our online community where we're going further, faster, together at community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On this episode, we're speaking with Alec Jaffe, founder and CEO of Alex Ice Cream, about how he stumbled into the joys of making ice cream as a kid, the benefits of A2 dairy, what makes his ice cream so creamy and delicious, how his hunt for organic dairy led him to becoming regenerative organic certified and more. Hey, I'm Alec Jaffe, founder CEO of Alex Ice Cream. We are the world's first and only certified regenerative organic ice cream made with gut-friendly A2 dairy. Awesome. And I'm excited to dig a little bit more into what the A2 thing is in a little bit. But before we start there, I was poking around in your background and noticed that after school, you started out working in like sports entertainment and sponsorships. And I know you, I'm pretty sure you played college like football or something like that as well. So was that your original plan A for your career was go into sports in some way? Yeah. I mean, sports has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. So I played football at USC in college. And after that, the natural thing was to go work in sports. <laughs> and so I uh, worked at AEG, Anschutz Entertainment Group, doing some corporate sponsors, account management type stuff for some things like the LA Kings, Staples Center, LA Live, the LA Galaxy. So pretty cool. And then after working there for a little bit, wanted to branch out from the sports world and uh, try some other things. So then went to go work in tech at a small startup and then... That led me to eventually getting into the the ice cream game. So yeah, not the most straight line path, but yeah, that was, uh, I guess, how I got here. Well, that's part of why I asked too is because it's pretty rare, I would say, for people that I interview that have had a straight line in their path. It's not like there's very few people who went to school for CPG entrepreneurship or something like that and ended up starting a CPG company. It's usually like, oh, I was over on this field or I had this experience or I, you know, whatever. I got laid off and then I went back to my comfort zone of like bacon cookies or something, you know, like it's it's always some story like that. But I, and we'll get more into your product in a little bit, but one of the nuances that I thought was interesting is 
usually most of the, I feel like the athletes or, or people who are super health focused before starting a CPG company usually end up launching like a protein version of, of yeah. food or a high fiber or a low sugar or something like that. So I'll be interested to hear as the story develops <laughs> why yeah. ice cream. But speaking yeah. of why ice cream, I was looking at your website and saw that it, your kind of love of ice cream or your entrepreneurial journey kind of started when you were in elementary school. It sounded like you did some school project where you had to make your own ice cream or something. Can you talk about that project, like why ice cream and how that came about? Yeah, the why... I don't know if I could answer why I chose ice cream for that project, but basically the project was make something at home, bring it into class to present how you made whatever thing. And I chose to make ice cream. There was no, you know, it just, I don't, for whatever reason, I picked that. So that was just a hobby that I had growing up. And yeah, I mean, I always loved ice cream. It was always the dessert of choice in our household. Our freezer was always stocked with ice cream growing up. It's something that, you know, after dinner, it's like, okay, so who wants some ice cream? <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> it was just kind of a, a staple of my childhood growing up. Okay. So it could have just been, oh, it's a staple of my childhood. And so I could probably figure out how to make it. Or yeah. like, did your parents know how to make ice cream? Was no. like, there's some background that you <laughs> knew it was even possible to make it? Because I feel no. like when I was a kid, I would have seen ice cream and been like, that must be some magic wizardry that only people in a factory or, or with magic <laughs> skills can make. So how did you know that you could even make it? Was Did your parents help you figure that out maybe? <laughs> it's probably hard to remember now. No, I honestly, all I remember is going to the store and buying a Cuisinart ice cream maker, like a little one you had to put it in the freezer 12 hours before you could make one pint of ice cream. It's a really not time efficient process. I bought a cookbook that just had some basic recipes and how you had to make a French custard style base. And so I was, you know, a little kid on the stove top stirring up my custard base and everything. I made peppermint stick flavor for my flavor that I brought into class. And I, I remember vividly like not being super confident in my egg cracking skills at that point <laughs> in my life. And so I was in class having to like crack the egg and, you know, drop the egg yolks into the bowl to show how you make the mix. And I was like, oh, shoot. I don't really <laughs> just kind of like smashed the egg on the side of the bowl. You know, this little kid cooking skills Anxiety, yeah. and so yeah it was i was like oh god how do i separate an egg yolk in front of everyone yeah that's pressure it's not just yeah. make something at home and bring it in but then you had to demo it yeah. <laughs> at school too so exactly. that's extra level skill yeah yeah and so but yeah definitely no one had like i wasn't surrounded by a family of ice cream makers you know and that's kind of how i got started there but food was always a big part of my family's life and growing up and everything like that. So yeah, something I was always around. Yeah, I think there was something about finding like a love for sustainability as well, like playing on a relative yeah. or a friend's farm or something. How did that tie in? And was that kind of part of the school project too? Or are you making like sustainable ice cream or, or like organic no. or local or something like that? Or is that like a separate story thread? Yeah. So for the sustainability part of it, my aunt and uncle, actually, my uncle is a professor of agroecology at UC Santa Cruz, and they had this small dry farm vineyard and ranch in the Central Valley of California. And so we did family reunions every Thanksgiving 
there growing up. And so every year we'd go and, you know, I'd, I'd be in his environment and, you know, of course it's close family members that that's their life's work. And so they're always talking about it. So you're always hearing about these things and topics and talking about soil health and topsoil and rainwater retention and water levels in the aquifer and the ground and, you know, all these topics that 20 years ago, people weren't, that wasn't like a common conversation that people were having and talking about sustainability and climate. So that is definitely, was just something that I was always around. I never really thought about it as much other than just something that I felt was important and was told was important and was a common topic of conversation. And so as I started to transition and looking at food, I was just looking and, you know, always and even just my buying habits when I was shopping for myself at the grocery store, just realizing how little options there are for sustainable foods and foods that are doing better for the planet. And so as I started to think about making an ice cream company, it was the, what excited me was that there seemed to be no company that delivered really amazing, unique, delicious flavors and also talked about sustainability and food systems and the impact of our food on our planet and climate. Yeah, that's true. So I guess a quick before we dive nerd out in the the ice sure. cream business. So your family had a, a strong food culture and then this uncle obviously had something to do with sustainability and agriculture. But did your family growing up also in that food culture, was there a sustainability or a health or anything like that kind of focus in your family culture growing up? Yeah. I mean, I guess I would describe it as like, you know, the early organic shopper. Everything was organic. I don't think you, back then there wasn't really anything else that you knew other than buy the organic thing because it's better. I'm not really even maybe under, fully understanding why. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah, but buying everything organic and just talking about, you know, eating clean and everything like that. And then with my athletics experience too, eating healthy was a huge part of my life and just trying to make sure, you know, cuz I needed to gain weight for football, but I needed to gain like healthy weight and good weight and put on muscle and everything. So, yeah, it, it was a a big thing for us was eating clean and eating healthy but eating good foods as well and you know when you brought up oh i'm surprised you wasn't like a protein or a low calorie version i think for me ice cream was never a functional just you know i wasn't eating ice cream to meet my protein macros <laughs> for the day you know yeah. ice cream was my cheat meal so and we can get into more of that in a little yeah. bit but yeah that makes sense i mean I generally eat fairly healthy and cook most of all my own food, but I allow myself those like, okay, I know this is unhealthy, but I'm only eating it like a little bit every, like a couple yeah. times a week or something like that. So no yeah. need to force every single thing you're eating to become like the source of all your nutrition. <laughs> exactly. Totally feel you there. Yeah. That makes sense. So you were kind of had something of a healthy eating and a little bit of an agricultural background growing up, at least more than maybe some other folks might. And then you went off into sports for a little bit and then into tech. And then at what point were you like, you know what, I need to start a food business and yeah. and like remember that you loved ice cream and sustainability. Like what was that trigger moment that launched you 
towards starting your own brand? So the startup that I was at was shutting down or in the process of shutting down. And I just was thinking about what I wanted to do next with my life. And I had this bug to try and, you know, start something, figure out something that I wanted to do. And I was playing around with a bunch of different ideas, both software, food, and other consumer products, and just really in a very experimental phase of just trying a bunch of different ideas, making prototypes, doing a lot of customer type research. And as I was doing that, you know, making these prototypes, making these samples and things, getting really in depth with that process, I just started to fall more and more in love with the process of making ice cream and refining the recipes and taking really in in detail notes on, well, if I change the amount of cream by this much, like what happens or if I change the amount of egg, you know, so on. So from that point, I just really fell in love with it because I'd never done it to that serious of a, you know, level until that point in my life. And I just decided to, I just kept working on it, kept making recipes that people really loved for friends, family, neighbors, things like that, and decided, all right, people really like this and are excited about it. Let's see if I can turn this into a business. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So, and then that's when, you know, the childhood love and the passion of sustainability kind of crept back in. But you also mentioned that you were doing a little market research and it felt like there was no company that was out there really crushing quality of like taste and flavor, unique flavors, but then also going deep in that sustainability focus and definitely hear you there. Like we, one of our clients at Modern Species is Alden's Organic Ice Cream and they are one of the few organic ice creams left on the market, but because they're already more expensive, they can't do like the super crazy different unique flavors all the time. They just have to kind of keep some of the staples because they can't go for premium, you know, flavor profiles and the premium of the organic dairy. So knowing that the, and we've also worked with Organic Valley quite a bit over the years too. So knowing that like the dairy industry itself is having various struggles of the drop in American consumption of things like milk, which is also putting a higher price on getting organic dairy or whey or anything else like that for your products. And I think you're, you launched relatively recently. So you were launching into this like kind of unknown dairy world. So how did you, I guess, justify to yourself, like, I'm going to go in this industry that's sort of struggling (laughs) and I'm going to make not only premium flavors and unique flavor profiles, but also go deeper than organic and get uh, regenerative organic certified, which I imagine there's not a ton of supply of that, right? So you put all these constraints on yourself. I appreciate it because I love (laughs) unique flavors and I love uh, sustainability and regenerative organic. So I'm a big fan of what you're doing. But from a business standpoint, I'm like, holy shit, how is he pulling this off? So how did all that come to be? Like, how did you find a way to do it when most other companies are, are struggling to figure out that path? Yeah, I think being naive enough to try it is a big (laughs) one. You know, if you were looking at it from a super experienced person in the industry and, you know, doing all the math and calculating it all from the very big, from the like concept phase, you'd probably be like, this is difficult. I'm going to pick something else. And I I think that that's for a lot of things you need to 
for this kind of, you know, startup type of venture, you need to be, yeah, not knowing all the obstacles in front of you, because if you did, you probably would just pick something a lot easier. But I think that's to our advantage in a way, because we're willing to do the things that other people won't do or haven't built into their business to allow them to do. So that's just how we are approaching it. And our whole mission of how we do things with our products is we want to make the best quality products possible, but without sacrificing our values and our standards for our sourcing and just how we do things. So yeah, I mean, we just figured it out. <laughs> just jump in. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've had a lot of the conversations about that recently, about how important it is to not know too much before you dive in because so many people say like if I knew everything I know now like you know let's say 10 years into running their business or like I, they say they would have never started the business they did but they're thankful they didn't know that much because they got in and did something other people weren't going to do because they knew too much and they weren't going to take that risk right and I think maybe part of it too is if you were a legacy ice cream company and decided to level up to regenerative organic or decided to level up your flavor profiles and you have to go into a retailer and convince them that you're going to double your prices or whatever else, those retailers are just going to laugh at you and say, no, I don't think so. You can take your products and go elsewhere if you're going to try to do that, especially during this recent kind of inflationary period. I've, I heard that retailers were drawing some hard lines on not wanting price increases to come through the door. So, but by launching a new brand, you were able to come to them with something that was like, hey, this is a premium, regenerative, organic, you know, awesome flavor profile company and take a risk on it. You know, like whereas if you were trying to change what you were already doing, it would have been hard, you know, change UPCs, change your retailer minds, et cetera. So I think part of it's, yeah, that naivete of like just not knowing all the problems you're going to face, but also starting from scratch is often helpful too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, we didn't have any thing to compare against with our product, you know, from like a earlier version or like another, another line of products. So it definitely was an advantage. Yeah. I know one of the things you talk a lot about on your website and you mentioned it at the top of this kind of interview too is this idea of A2 dairy. So even though I've worked with dairy brands for a long time, multiple ice cream companies and milk companies and stuff, mm -hmm. I don't know what A2 dairy is. <laughs> so that was a new one on me. So I'd love like an explanation yeah. from you because I imagine lots of other people listening don't know what it is. So what is A2 dairy and why is it better? Yeah. So A2 dairy, it's super exciting. The headline is it's dairy that's easier to digest for many people. A2 is a beta casein protein. So it's a milk protein found in all mammals' milk. Cows produce this protein naturally as well. A long time ago, some cows started producing a variant of that protein called an A1 protein. And that A1 protein has been linked to a lot of dairy sensitivity symptoms and issues for people. So I like to say a common misconception is that A2 dairy means that there's no lactose in it, which that's not true. Lactose is not being removed. What's allowing people to comfortably enjoy the A2 dairy is having that A2 protein versus a lot of milk products and dairy products that you're buying are a combination of A1 and A2 
milk because you know it's someone who's just getting a bunch of different a bunch of milk from a bunch of different sources and there's not you know no genetic testing confirming that the herds are producing you know 100% a2 dairy and so yeah that's just that's kind of the high level it can get really sciency really quick and so if you are someone who has uh, you know perceived lactose intolerance or dairy sensitivities i'll say you know give it a try, see how it goes. And we've had a ton of people who have come up to us and said, I haven't been able to eat ice cream in years because it always hurts my stomach or makes me feel horrible. And I feel amazing after eating your ice cream. Wow, that's awesome. So it sounded like it's like a different cow breed or genetic line that produces this type of protein. And then, so if you're just picking out or sourcing your dairy from a farm that only has those cows then you know all your milk is a2 or are you having to like test each batch and send some away if it's not a2 so it has to do purely with the genetics of the cow and it's not specific breeds like a lot of people say oh it's jersey milk so that means it's a2 that's not necessarily true jerseys can also be have that a1 does a1 genetics as well but yeah certain breeds are more likely to have the A2 genetics and some are more likely to have the A1 genetics. So it's really up to the farm to then be just doing a simple genetic test, usually with like a hair sample that you send into a lab. And just to confirm if if the cow is producing A2 dairy or A1 dairy. Interesting. Okay, cool. So you not only found organic dairy source but a regenerative organic dairy source and one that can give you a2 specific milk that must have been challenge finding that supplier or is it like a farm that you own is it your family's farm or something like that no we partner with alexander family farms to source all of our dairy and it was pretty lucky just finding them getting introduced to them they've been really early on the regenerative organic and a2 movements and putting in uh, you know pioneering the on the that those movements on the dairy side and we're lucky enough to be super close to them both based in northern california and so we were looking for a dairy supplier we were looking for a new dairy supplier and just happened to get introduced to them. It was like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> and so that led, actually, they were the ones who led us to transition over to a regenerative supply chain. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so you were looking for A2 dairy and then they happened to say like, hey, we've got regenerative and offered that up to you. Or were you looking for regenerative and they happened to have A2 and that was a nice benefit? Honestly, we were looking for organic dairy that was available to us. In the pandemic, we were working with a dairy supplier who was supplying us organic dairy, and they got shut down because of some issues. that. And so we were stuck looking for a new supplier. And as a small manufacturer, we have our own factory too, so that's another thing. We're not you know, putting in a purchase order to a co-packer and letting them deal with all the supply chain issues. We actually need to have someone who can deliver the dairy to us. And so it was very hard as a super new brand to find someone to deliver dairy, organic dairy specifically, at the quantities that we needed and who'd be willing to grow with us. 
And so we were sort of scrambling. It's hard to make ice cream if you don't have dairy. And so we got introduced to the Alexanders and we were originally doing organic pasture-raised ice cream. That's sort of what I thought I knew as the best potential or the best available sustainable option. And when we talked to them, learned about regenerative, learned about what they're doing, then learned about A2 as well. It just was a no-brainer for us to transition and really further our mission. Nice. Do you feel like that? that's kind of a core part of your brand now that you wouldn't negotiate in the future? For like, Do you feel like now that you've gotten that opportunity, you are a regenerative A2 dairy ice cream company and there's no going back? Yeah, I do. And, you know, as now we're growing and becoming a, a larger brand, we can continue to just foster and develop a regenerative supply chain and work with farmers and continue to just get more and more farms and farmers able to convert over to regenerative. And that's a huge thing if we can do that. And regenerative agriculture has a lot of benefits to the farmers as well, as far as what they're able to charge and get paid for their products that they make and grow. So yeah, it's something that we're really proud of. So yeah, that's all interesting about the finding that dairy source, because I know I've talked to a lot of people developing products that need some sort of organic dairy and, and heard about struggles of finding a good source. So it's yeah. amazing that you were able to to find a farm that could help you. And hopefully grow with each other a little bit there. Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of that too, of why we're able even to do that is because we have our own production facility. So we got very lucky in the very early stages of our business of finding a ice cream factory that was shut down, available for sale. And having that really allows us to source dairy from the suppliers that we want to source from. And you know, when we were trying to just get started, we were talking to a bunch of co-packers and no one would make organic ice cream for us for a lot of reasons that got into like the intricacies of dairy processing. But yeah, so it's very hard to just get up and start an organic dairy product. So you bought your own ice cream factory, it sounded like. So yeah. that, that yeah. seems like a pretty big jump for a, a newer brand. Were you able to, maybe it's just a great deal at the right time, like your investors or something were interested in that? Or how's that working? Primarily, it was a great deal uh, at a great time. So we just happened to stumble upon a factory that a company was trying to get rid of all their assets. And we were able to get it for a really good price. And so it was just... Yeah, you know, it was, it was a big investment for a new company. On the scale of factories, it's like a tiny investment, like, you know, but yeah, it, it was just a, an amazing opportunity to be able to get that scale at the same cost that I think it would have cost us to open a really cool brick and mortar location pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, one of our clients is just like a local ice cream scoop shop, but then they yeah. were scaling to be a franchise so they got some investors and built out a whole ice cream factory that would be big enough to fulfill for all these different franchises across the country and i know how crazy expensive and how long it took <laughs> to build and all that so to stumble on to a you know a right side right scaled ice cream mm -hmm. factory at a good deal a good price for whatever is is an amazing win so congrats on that yeah. that's great thank you yeah 
And then a question on the A2. So mm-hmm. is that something that a lot of dairy intolerant people know about and seek out? Or are you finding that even people who had a sensitivity, you've got to kind of explain that to them? It's definitely a newer trend, let's say. It's growing a lot and rapidly. I mean, the difference from when we first started doing this to now, as far as people coming up to us at demos or events and being like, oh, you're A2 versus what's A2? (laughs) You know, it's changed a lot. But still, there's tons of education that needs to be done. And it's it's kind of <laughs> when you're talking to someone at a demo, let's say, at a, at a store, and they're like the target, you know, they're sensitive to dairy, struggle with it a lot. It's a big risk for them to, <laughs> to try the product and be like, and trust you. So I'll usually have to explain it and be like, just take a really small bite. And if you feel fine, you know, come back and take a bigger one. And we'll, we'll take it slow, baby steps. But yeah, it, it definitely has started to grow a lot in awareness. Yes, I, I can see how you need to baby step people into it. And probably also yeah. on your packaging, like sensitivity around exactly how you're talking about it. Because it's not mm-hmm. like you can claim this is great for people who are literally lactose intolerant or whatever, but it's also sort of better for people who have maybe some sensitivity. <laughs> like it's, it's a difficult message to explain, I imagine. Yeah. And I, I mean, like everybody's body is different and everyone will react differently to certain things. So I like to say a lot of people who perceive themselves as lactose intolerant are able to eat our ice cream and feel totally fine. That's not a guarantee. Like, but I've seen it time and time again. So it's, you know, worth a try. Yeah. Is there like a USDA or whatever FDA claim that's approved for you to be able to say something about A2, like easier to digest and put an asterisk and explain that on the back panel or something like that? Yeah. I try to be very careful about making specific health claims because, you know, people's health is a serious thing. And I think the best thing I can say is that we've had a ton of people who've said that it's allowed them to enjoy our ice cream and enjoy ice cream again. So just kind of like through conversations more than anything, let people know that it might be better for them. And then hopefully Mm -hmm. once people try it, they'll tell other friends and the word will spread that way. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Yeah. It's always so risky to make any health claims on packaging with food products and it takes lots of lawyers and then every lawyer has a different opinion (laughs) and every you know, approval person, like certifier, whomever has different opinions. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then it gets real messy real soon. And next thing you know, you've got like three paragraphs of legal (laughs) context just to make one little claim. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So obviously you start with your top quality dairy, which makes a lot of sense. And then you were talking about just unique flavor profiles and you've obviously nerded out on just the right way to make ice cream to bring flavors out. So How would you say, or why would you say your ice cream is so delicious? Because I did get to try it at Expo West too, and it it was quite creamy and delicious. But is it mostly because of the better dairy as the starting point, or is it part of your process? Like Again, that local kind of ice cream scoop shop that we've worked with, their secret sauce is that they age their ice creams for a little while to let the flavors mingle, and they use... I think in their particular case, like a lower fat ice cream. So the flavors come out a little bit more instead of you just getting like 
the dairy flavor. They want the rest of the flavors to come through. And then they age it so that it all melds together. And then they keep all the flavors in their scoop shop in separate sealed containers. So there's no like cross flavor contamination kind of stuff going on. So that's their like secret sauce. But what's your secret sauce for making your product so delicious? Yeah. I mean, the the starting point with making ice cream is you're looking at your two percentages, your butterfat percentage and your overrun percentage. Butterfat percentage meaning basically how much fat are you putting in the ice cream and that, that comes from how much cream you use. And then overrun is a volume percentage measuring how much air you whip into the ice cream. So when you're making ice cream, you're taking this fluid mixture, simultaneously freezing it and whipping air into it and it creates this almost soft servey milkshake kind of product that you then pack into a cup and freeze to harden. So we use a pretty high level of cream, about as high as you'll find for, you know, grocery store type products. And then we whip a pretty low amount of air in there as well. And that's what gives you that really nice creamy mouthfeel. And then, you know, we do the curing time as well to allow those flavors to soak into the base mix and really all blend together. And yeah, I mean, so basically what we're doing is it's pretty simple. I think the best food that you make is done simply and with really simple, amazing quality ingredients. And that's what we're doing. You know, we're taking a pretty simple, basic ice cream base custard style formula is cream skim milk egg yolks cane sugar and just adding great flavors to it and whipping as little air as <laughs> makes sense too and you know you get really delicious high quality ice cream nice so are you the one that's mostly coming up with the recipes and flavor profiles um if so how or where do you get your inspiration are you just constantly experimenting it's a it's definitely a team effort and you know i obviously started in the beginning it was just me but uh now we now we have a few people on our team who contribute there and for us our flavors we want them to i think you know like our newest flavor peanut butter fudge honeycomb is a great example of something that feels familiar and unique and a little elevated and sophisticated at the same time but also indulgent sounding and yeah so we're, we're kind of going for that combination of factors all in one flavor profile that's cool have you heard of salt and straw out here on the west yeah. coast yes i feel like as you started describing that flavor it sounded like something you'd find it uh, <laughs> salt and straw which for anyone who doesn't know them they make you know, some standard flavor ice creams, but the main draw for them is they're always rotating their menus and each mm -hmm. region that they're in, they kind of localize the menu and maybe partner with local chefs or, or something like that to come up with stuff. But they just, some of their ice creams are just wacky as heck, right? <laughs> uh, the first time I went to one, I think I had a, it was like a duck fat based ice cream with, what was it? Pepper... It was like peppercorn toffee or something like that. And then some sort of like raspberry jam in it. I don't know. It's just all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounded so weird that I had to try it and it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, they definitely push the envelope on flavors and do some really cool stuff there, which you can do more of that in the scoop shop kind of environment versus in the grocery store people. It's really interesting how people purchase ice cream differently 
at a scoop shop versus in this grocery store. But yeah, Salt and Stroud does some really, really fun stuff with flavors. Do you feel like it's just a different purchase occasion or is it more like retailers are scared? But part of the reason I ask is because we work with a lot of food companies and more often than not, they're like afraid to do the really bold, interesting flavors, partly because those usually don't sell as well. And I wonder, is it is it they don't sell as well because a retail customer is not looking for that? Because I know crazy flavor stuff sells really well. And like, like you said, like a scoop shop or in the... Yeah maybe even online or something, but for whatever reason, when it goes to retail, everything gets blanded down and it's uh, kind of frustrating because I love crazy food, but it's hard to find it at a grocery store. It's, yeah, I think it's a different, because it's a different shopping occasion and people have a different mentality when they're making that purchase decision. That's why vanilla is the highest selling flavor in ice cream in the grocery store. But you walk into a scoop shop, you're most likely not just ordering a, a cone with a scoop of vanilla. So, yeah, I mean, I think that people just view it differently. And it's not the retailers. I, I think the retailers are always eager to put new flavors on their shelves and add some variety to their set. But a lot of times people just people like to experiment and try stuff. but at the end of but the day, they like the tried and true. Yeah. And it's not, yeah, I think the challenge is finding the flavor that is both unique but feels familiar. And that's where I think you can create unique innovations that also are able to repeat. Yeah, that's interesting. Part of my mind was thinking like maybe when you're in the grocery store, you're thinking more of like everyday and or family. Like this mm-hmm. has to be good for everybody. Whereas yeah. when you get the crazy wacky ice cream, usually that's more of a, that sounds good to me and yeah. I might want this once, but I'm not sure if I want this all week or something. So maybe that's why in a scoop shop, you're like, well, I'm just going to eat this all right here. I'm not going to save any of it. Whereas even if you're just buying a small pint that you could pound all on your own, you're yeah. probably thinking it would be responsible of me not to eat this all in one sitting. So I know I want a flavor that I can pick at all week and not just on my current flavor whim. Yeah, no, it, it totally is um, like it feels like more of an investment, <laughs> even if they're <laughs> yeah. almost the same price. Like, yeah, that's it feels more thing. of an investment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you walk out of something like Salt and Straw and you just paid like 12 bucks for a, a cone <laughs> or something, but then $5 at the grocery store sounds too expensive. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I, my mind is always blown with economic like psychology, right? Where people mm-hmm. will completely justify dropping a, a you know $100 at a bar with a couple friends one night but they can't justify paying 10 cents more for that organic bell pepper. <laughs> it's yeah, like, exactly. It's a, it blows my mind uh, yeah. how people kind of play with numbers in their head and what things are valued mm-hmm. at. Yeah, totally. So we talked about some of the challenges already of just being in the dairy industry in general but then also mm-hmm. like organic dairy and especially now regenerative organic. So I'm just curious as a impact driven company, what are your biggest challenges that you're facing right now? I mean, I think there's so many challenges that a lot of businesses have faced over these past couple of years and supply chain challenges, I think being probably the biggest one from, I mean, it was a challenge, but then also a really lucky silver lining of losing our original dairy supplier and then having to find a new one, getting connected with the Alexanders. But I mean, just dealing with all the supply chain shocks across the board 
has been a major challenge for us. And then figuring out how to run a manufacturing facility, how to get a factory up and running was a huge challenge. So those two things have been, I think, two of the highlights on the, on the challenge side. And then I think looking forward, you know, communicating to customers why our product is maybe more expensive than the super basic conventional product that, you know, and it's just a, we look at food now as a country so differently. It's like, it has to be so cheap, but also really good made with good ingredients. I'm like, well, you can't have all three of those things. You kind of have to pick two. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think that's something that as we head into a more challenging economic environment how will people still purchase things will they will they still want to purchase sustainably and everything like that and i think that there will still i don't think people are just going to stop buying <laughs> uh things that meet their values but it is a reality that as a you know premium product just how do you still get people to purchase the product and as a new brand too i mean we're growing our distribution significantly and how do you build that awareness support those retailers make sure people are going in and buying pints yeah that's good notes and a good transition to my next thought slash question is what the future looks like for alex which like i think right now i could be wrong but i think right now you're just selling in pints right so do you have future expansion plans beyond just more flavors like are you thinking you might have bars or you might do bigger you know bulk containers to get the price per scoop down or whatever or are you thinking you might launch your own scoop shops or just sell you know private label or wholesale or something like that into food service like what is your game plan at the moment right now our our game plan is to just continue to innovate with pints and there's a lot of fun ideas that we want to explore down the line. But right now it's about just creating the best ice cream possible. Nice. And are you, you're mostly, I assume in retail, but are you selling a lot on your website or other online retailers? Yeah. The bulk of our sales are in retail. We do sell on our website. It's, it's just different selling on, on the website. You have to pay for shipping and dry ice and all this stuff that comes with mailing someone a frozen product. So yeah, the bulk of our sales are in store. Makes sense. I was living in Seattle and never really had much of a hard time finding the products I wanted to find in the grocery stores downtown Seattle. But then during the pandemic, I moved down to Olympia. And I have to say, I've been struggling down here. Every time I'm like talking to a new podcast guest or see something, find something at a trade show or whatever. And then when I go to my local stores here, of course they don't have it. Like even if, yeah. even if that brand is nationally distributed, even in like a target or something, I go to my target here and I can't find it. My <laughs> co-op here is so small that they can only, they only have so much shelf space. So it's always right. a challenge, but especially with frozen products, I get like not selling a ton of it online, but it's also mm-hmm. nice to know for anyone listening here that that is an option. You know, maybe it's not yeah. your, your primary sales channel, but if they want to, 
somewhat unsustainably ship some frozen product around <laughs> the country just to try how great your stuff is, then that's an option. Yeah. We, uh, on that note, we, we also don't use styrofoam for insulating. So we use a biodegradable cooling liner in the box. So trying to be as sustainable as we can, but yeah, it's tough shipping ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that it is. So as we kind of maybe wrap up, I'm curious if you have any advice that you would offer to other impact-driven entrepreneurs. I would say, I think just be prepared for a lot of challenges that come your way. And that's part of it. And be ready to, you know, persevere through that adversity because it'll come. I mean, just like with any, and you know, it's not, it's not, that's any entrepreneurship thing or anything that you're trying to do. And so just being ready for that. And I think find something that powers you through that. And, you know, I'd, I'd hope if you're doing something more around impact, it's just the mission and the impact that you're trying to make on the world with what you're doing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I feel like maybe I have an unhealthy mindset around this. I'm not entirely sure, but I personally feel like anything worth doing is going to be hard to do, by which I mean, if it's easy, then you're not growing or you're not trying hard enough or it wasn't really what the world needed. Like if if you're not coming up against challenges, then you're not doing anything innovative, new and necessary for the world right so entrepreneurship in general is basically a career of problem solving but especially when you have the added burden of trying to do everything the right way instead of cutting corners you're gonna have more challenges so it's it's almost like pick the hardest path possible and go in that direction <laughs> but that's kind of what it is when you're an impact driven entrepreneur it's like it fuels you and it's exciting and you get to follow your passion and your purpose but it is probably the hardest path possible. So I like your advice of just be prepared for those challenges and <laughs> persevere and keep going through it. And I forget who was talking about this recently, but it, may, it must have been a conversation on LinkedIn, I believe. But someone was saying that to really make it, you need to shift your mindset from challenges being a problem and a stress to challenges being something fun that you look forward to solving, right? And granted, I know that like, my factory burned down is not a fun <laughs> challenge to solve, but like the normal everyday challenges of like, shit, sure. I got to figure out how to communicate this A2 thing to consumers, or I got to figure out how I'm going to survive as a more premium product during an economic downturn. Like those are difficult things to do, but if you have the right mindset, they're fun challenges too. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a challenge that you get to overcome and solve. It's not a problem. And so it's all about mindset, how you look at it. For sure. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you persevering and <laughs> having just the right amount of naivete to jump in and yes. do what I think the world needs. Like I would love all ice cream companies to be following in your footsteps. And if we could flip the economics in this country to doing things the right way, the more affordable thing through subsidies and, and actually charging the real price for cheap products that are adding to healthcare costs or cutting corners and putting people on welfare or whatever, like, we, you know, we don't pay the true cost of the cheap stuff at, at store. But if yeah. at some point we could flip that and you pay the true cost of the cheap stuff and instead we put our subsidies and other things, grants, et cetera, into better for the world companies like yourself, then 
you would be the cheaper option too, in theory, or at least <laughs> price equal at that point. And I, yeah, until the world gets to that point, which seems unlikely, I appreciate you going out and doing the right thing and what the providing the world with what they need. And I wish you all the best and hope that you're able to keep persevering and, and kick butt out there. And I'm excited to continue trying all your interesting flavors. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. You know, we're going to keep doing it. And so, uh, yeah. Awesome. Really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Alec or his ice cream, visit alexicecream.com. That's A-L-E-C-S icecream.com. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. And of course, if you work in the industry, come join our community at community.evolvecpg.com, and we'll go further, faster, together.